Lastly is this, just to kind of put a disclaimer out here before I preach this message, I am going to use some terms, okay, and I'm going to use some words and some phrases that you don't normally hear in church, and uh, we're going to be talking about sexual morality, and uh, while I'm not trying to be grotesque or anything like that, I am not going to shy back from some of the words and terms that I use, okay, so I just want to let you know, if you want to make some changes and with young people here, then I understand. But uh, let's go ahead and just jump into it. Driving down the highway, or if you go down any busy road, uh, there are signs everywhere. Uh, When you're driving, you'll see road signs, warning signs, business signs, for sale signs. Signs are all around us. They give us information about our surroundings. And likewise, there are signs occurring around the world, and they, they remind us of this fact. Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And some people will say, you know, I've heard about this all my life. And, you know, for 2,000 years, uh, Jesus, nearly 2,000 years, it has been said that Jesus is coming. Where is he at? I just doubt or or maybe I just question whether he's coming at all. Maybe it's just kind of like an open threat or a vain threat to really encourage us to live our lives as we should. But the Bible says the opposite. And, you know, the coming of Jesus is a cornerstone of the Christian faith throughout the ages. And here's what the Apostle Peter writes here in 2 Peter 3, verse 3. Knowing that this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, we're living in the last days. It's no secret. It's no mystery. It doesn't take a theologian to figure that out. When Jesus left this earth, the last days began. That scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The expected hope is for Jesus to come. And again, it's a cornerstone of our faith. We, we fully expect and believe Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And spiritually speaking, there aren't any prophetic signs or events that must be fulfilled in order for Jesus to come. We're not waiting for the temple to be rebuilt. We're not waiting for the Antichrist to be revealed. We're not waiting for any of that. None of that has any, uh, any factor in the return of Jesus. The only thing that keeps Jesus from coming back is the timing and the will of our Heavenly Father. When he says it's time to go, that's all. There is no prophetic event that has to be fulfilled that is keeping Jesus from coming back. But the Bible gives us signs, warnings that his return is imminent. And the Bible warns us that half of the church will be ready when Jesus comes, and half of the church won't be ready. Scripture tells us that the condition of the church before Christ's return is not going to be a church that's on fire. It is a church that is apostate. It is going to be a church that is involved with the world. It is going to be a church that is embracing the world, also fulfilling the signs of the end times themselves. So there are signs occurring all around us, all throughout this world. And they remind us of this fact, the days are evil and Jesus is coming soon. Here's what we should do in regards to that. We should ready ourselves by living our lives in full commitment to Christ and his mission. That's how we ready ourselves for his coming, for his return. We are committed to him fully, and we are committed to his mission. The Apostle Paul gives us a snapshot of the world, what it's going to look like before Jesus returns. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this in verse 1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, uh, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Church, this is the world that we live in today. And you could argue and say, well, these things have been around since Jesus, Jesus left. And I would argue, yes, you're correct, but they happen more frequently, more widespread, and with greater ferocity. This is the world that we're living. These signs are occurring, and they're confirming the nearness of Christ, his return. So we need to be ready morally and spiritually because the bridegroom is near. So we've seen this take place. There's been a moral shift in the culture, not only in our nation, but throughout the world. And that's what is really concerning. It's not just in America, I mean, but it's a cultural shift we see throughout the world. And it's a shift in the wrong direction. And this shift can be summarized by the words of Isaiah the prophet, which says this in Isaiah 5.20, woe and woe is a warning of, of, uh, of an event to take place. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And when the morality of mankind is no longer in alignment with the righteousness of God, man's morality then opposes the righteousness of God. Woe to mankind. We are dangerously close to experiencing wrath. Now, one of the most alarming signs occurring around the world is in the area of sexuality. And human sexuality is heading in the wrong direction away from God's creative purpose. And God created mankind, male and female, and that's not a political statement. It's a moral truth recorded in Scripture. And Genesis chapter 2 says this, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, there is a new debate. Imagine that, a new debate in this area. I was just watching the news this week. Here's what the powers that be are debating, whether it is correct to refer to a spouse as a husband or wife. We'll say that again. That's the debate. Is it correct? Is it proper for us to refer to a spouse as husband or wife? That might be offensive to some couples. This is the world we live in. I know it sounds ridiculous, but this is where we are in this sexually confused world. We're venturing too far away from God's purpose of human sexuality, and if we, the church, don't get our heads out of the sand and start addressing this correctly, we're going to continue down the path of immorality. The only sexual activity condoned by Scripture is between one genetic man and one genetic female within the boundaries of a covenant called marriage. You'd be surprised at how many people in the church identify as Christian, consider themselves married to their significant other, rather than being legally married. Here's the argument, and it's usually the man, it's usually not the woman. It's usually the man, they have this harebrained scheme they come up with. The man says this, honey, I'll buy you the ring that you want, I'll, I'll pledge myself to you before God. We don't need a preacher, we don't need a piece of paper to prove that we're married. In God's eyes, we're married. Well, sir, 
quite frankly, you don't know the Bible. Because marriage is a covenant, and a covenant is a contract. If that man really loves a woman, or vice versa, a contract shouldn't stop them from getting married. I would say this, if someone doesn't want to sign a contract, a legal commitment to another person, there's probably a reason why they don't want to sign it, and you should probably find out why that person doesn't want to commit themselves legally, completely, wholly to you. That should be a warning sign. I'll marry you in the eyes of God, but I won't sign a contract. A covenant is a contract with terms, and it should not be easily broken. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. If you're married and you're, if you're having sex with another person, but you aren't lawfully married to them, you are committing sexual immorality. And I don't care if you say you're married in God's eyes or not. Who are you to speak for God? God has spoken in his word. God has made it abundantly clear what that means. It's not, it's not your place to talk for God. God has already spoken. It is written. It's just your opinion, which is convenient for your lifestyle. So if you're having sex by yourself, it's sexual immorality. Oral sex or manipulation of another person's privates whom you aren't married to is sexual immorality. Sex, sexual activity is any activity that brings arousal and or climax. Couples who are dating or engaged or having sex are committing fornication. If a person is viewing pornography, it's sexual immorality because you just aren't watching. A spouse who is engaged in sexual activity outside the marriage is committing adultery. If a couple invites another person into their bedroom or a couple has a, quote, open marriage, they are committing adultery. It doesn't matter if the spouse says, it's okay, honey, you can bring another man, or the lady says, you can bring another woman into our bed. You don't, we don't define, we don't define what God has spoken. God has made it very clear. You can agree on this all you want. It's sexual immorality. It's adultery you're committing. When sexual activity God condones is no longer the standard, it is a sign that we are heading in the wrong direction. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. You've already heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, that doesn't give you the right then to go on and have sex since you've already committed adultery with her. I've heard that actually preached before. That doesn't give you an invite. Well, I've looked at her lustfully. I must just want to have sex with her now. That's not the way it happens. That's justifying your sin, and that is a dangerous choice to make. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it would be more profitable that one of your members perish, that your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast, at, cast into hell. You know, we go out into this world, we should find a lot of people who are maimed and without parts. Parents, grandparents, please hear me, because some of you may think, well, this doesn't apply. It, do, it applies to every person here, young or old. Don't exchange the purity of your kid's sexuality for the sake of convenience and conformity. I'm going to say that again. You need to listen right up here. 
Do not exchange the purity of your kid's sexuality for convenience or conformity. Any device you give to those kids, any device that gives them access to the internet or cell service has risk. Don't ever apologize for being a protective parent parent in the area of, of sexuality. Never apologize. Give you an example. A device can be, you know, you can block it, you can put all kinds of stuff on it to prevent your, your children from accessing pornography to a point. There's not one device that is foolproof. And I'll give you just an example. If, you, if your kids have a smartphone, let's say, and they can call and text, they can access pornography. It doesn't matter what restrictions you have on it, have in place, it can be easily bypassed. I'll give you one example. If you give them access to internet shell service, you can't stop other kids from sending them pornography. If they want to send nude pics or videos of themselves to that person, if they have cell service and they can give text and receive calls, then they can receive. You can put all the restrictions you want. You can't stop it. Your children's friends can send nude pics, videos of themselves engaged in sex, sexual activities. Your child may not be directly accessing them from the internet. Each parent has to make a decision for themselves. It's not easy. But remember this, in the area of your kid's sexuality, are you going to make a decision out of convenience and conformity or what's right for your kids. I'm gonna say this, if you allow your children to have a device and you are constantly, and this is where, let's face it, parents, we get lazy, we get tired. But if you aren't constantly trying to outfox the fox, the fox outfoxed you already. Because your kids know way more about technology than you ever will. It takes consistency, it takes a commitment. But if you're gonna hand that little porn box over to them, you better watch them. Don't give them a loaded weapon and say, well, or don't give them the keys to the car. They're a 10-year-old. Say, now you drive safe. Don't wreck. If you're unaware of your children's private conversations and messages, you are already at a disadvantage. If you aren't monitoring them, checking up on them, I know they can lie, they can, they can hide, but you have to be diligent. You're a parent. And I'm not trying to make you feel like a bad parent. But if you trust your kids to do the right thing in this sexually sin world, you are on drugs. Do not send your young people to the, salt, to the altar of sexual immorality as a sacrifice. Do not send your children to the altar of sexual immorality as a sacrifice. Not for any reason, not for convenience or conformity. The kids in my school, my friends, baloney. You don't buy that. You don't stay. You don't make your decision that way. Do what's right for your kids. Let's say this. Let's say you have a 12-year-old daughter. And, you, and then your daughter has shown herself to be trustworthy. She consistently does the right thing. Praise God. You know what you want to do as a parent? You want to reward that. You want to let your guard down. I understand that. I have a daughter. She's not 12 anymore. Thank God. Let's say that daughter strikes up a friendship at school with a boy that you don't know. And believe this or not, they will have friendships away from you out of your eyes. So they strike up a friendship with the boy at school, but that boy isn't trustworthy like your daughter. And that boy has taken a liking to your daughter. And if you aren't aware of that fondness that that boy and your daughter have for each other, you are already at a disadvantage. Let's say that boy manipulates your daughter into sending a pic. Maybe it starts out just as revealing, and then it turns out to be a nude pic. Now, that boy already has leverage, especially if that girl has proven herself trustworthy and consistent. He has leverage over her already. 
The boy will say this, if you really love me, ladies, young ladies, listen to me, them boys will lie to you. They're, when their mouths are moving, lie, lie, lie. Tell you anything you want to hear. If you really love me, you'll send me more pictures. Or here's, what, here's the, the low blow. You've already sent me this. If you, send me, if you don't send me more, I'm going to share what I have with my friends. And then you are coerced in doing so. Just don't send the pics in the beginning. But kids make bad decisions. Because when kids are going through puberty or they're young, their brains aren't cooked all the way. And let's face it, you know this, you ain't cooked until you're 25. I think it took me longer. Church, this happens right here in our community, right here in our church. If you think your son or daughter is immune to this behavior, you are living in fantasy land. Any kid who has access to the internet or cell service, as a parent, you must be diligent, and it's not easy. Listen, the easiest part is making those babies. It's not hard. The hard part is parenting your kids, because that is difficult. And I'm going to say this, parenting your kids to be a Christian as a Christian is even more difficult. I'm going to show some lyrics with you from some songs. These are some older songs, by the way. These aren't new. I'm just going to have Joe cue each one. I'm going to tell you what, they are vulgar and disgusting. And you say, why are you sharing them in church? Because this is the right place to share them. Because you need to see them. Because I got a point. I'm not doing this just for wow factor or anything like that. You just need to see these, okay? The letters and the words have to be a character put in where there's like a consonant, okay? You follow me? So that I just don't want to see the words. I'm not going to read them at all. I'm just going to read them to myself. I'm going to tell Joe to go to the next one, but you need to see him. Okay, let's go to the first one, Joe. This is Snoop Dogg's. Got it? Let's go to the next one. Got it? All right, next one. Okay. I receive no pleasure in sharing this garbage in the church, but the days are evil. And if you don't know what's taking place in this world, you are living with blinders on. This is not acceptable for any Christian. So here's what I want to ask you. When you allow a young man to listen to lyrics like this, at some point he's going to think this behavior is okay. And it's normal. And it's anything but normal. Do you want this young man who's listening to that music who believes this is okay to date your daughter? Because if so, go ahead and post that on social media. You'll have them lined up at your door. Our culture has been infected with this type of sexuality and it's from the pit of hell. The sexual content in today's legalized pornography is appalling. You don't have to go to the dark web to find some appalling things. It is legal. You and your children are just one Google search away from a world of unlimited perversion. And by the way, we know this for a fact, and just through, through helping people through circumstances, just the statistics tell us that pornography is as addictive as crack cocaine. I remember when that first came out, I thought, is it really? It is. A person can become addicted after just one time of viewing it. That's it. And a young man especially is very vulnerable. Some of the most disgusting and alarming types of pornography are legally available to anyone at any age. See, this is what it does. We're kind of like on the honor system. This is ridiculous. It's available to anyone who will click on the box that says, I'm 18 years old. Now, I want you to think about this. The only thing that stops and I'm going to go very young on this because I've heard and seen and witnessed this myself, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, 
You know, the only thing that stops them from clicking I'm 18 is their conscience. And I'm going to tell you this, their curiosity will win out over their conscience every time at that age. They are going to click their 18. That's all that stops them. There's no proof needed. In an unlimited world of filth, our boys, our young men, if you're viewing porn actors engaged in violent and disgusting sexual activity, and you think that's the way a woman acts in bed, you are being misled. At some point, a boy who engages that, they watch violent pornography, they think it's okay. Well, at some point, they're going to say, you know what, this is acceptable, this is normal, and I'm telling you, it's not normal. Do you want your sons picking up a lady, marrying a lady, and treating her like a porn star? Do you want your daughters treated that way? Do you want some man marrying your daughter, thinking it's okay to punch them while they're having sex? And think that's okay? That's healthy? We have to be, I had to be very careful in doing this research for this message, because it's so easy to fall right into the cesspool. I read one article, talked about this. Various types of pornography people are searching, viewing, that are becoming popular. Defecation. Urination. Now, I'm talking about defecation and urination involved in sexual activity. Choking. Spitting. None of this is okay. If you raise your child to know this behavior is unacceptable, but they're in a relationship with a person who views as is acceptable, something's going to give. I don't care how old you are, male or female. You know what? Uh, women viewing pornography now is like 30 to 40%. And keeping pornography use and viewing it secret is, is dangerous. And here, here's why. Your sin, number one, will find you out. And number two, all sexual sin will escalate and metastasize. All sexual sin. Here's why. You're usually looking for something and what sexual sin will do, it just feeds your fear. It'll feed shame. And the more you hide it, the more power it has over you. And I'm going to confront you. You need to come clean today. Come clean before God, yourself, and others. You can't allow fear and shame to dictate your choices. Satan will tell you this. If you come clean, everyone will reject you. And it's a lie. You know, the recent arrest of this man who is suspected to be the... Uh, the serial killer, the, the Gilgo Beach killer, whatever, he has in his, you know, they showed the videos and the pictures of them bringing out the pictures of bondage and torture out of his home. And I'm not saying that every person who engages in that type of sadistic imagery will become a serial killer, but if you know anything about crime and if you know anything about serial killers and sexual predators, it is well documented. There's always a history of pornography use and abnormal sexual behavior. You can't tell me there isn't a connection between sexual violence and pornography. Can't tell me there isn't a connection between sexual dysfunction in a marriage and a spouse viewing pornography. You young men and young ladies don't know this now, but you're creating a precedence in your life. And when you get married and you think everything is going to be all bliss, and when, when your wife or your husband can't perform the way you want them to perform, you will find problems in that marriage and it will fall apart. Marriages are very simple and very delicate uh, organisms because they have a life of themselves. And it's pretty easy when it comes to marital problems. It's usually money, communication, children, sex. I'm gonna let, just to speak to the men here for a second, women are not sexual objects. They're not objects. They're people. 
Women aren't here for you to exploit and fulfill all your fantasies. Sex isn't about you getting yours. And if that's your idea of a healthy sexual relationship, keep it in your pants because you don't know what you're doing. See, love, and, love isn't about getting, it's all about giving. Paul writes this to the Ephesians about how a man ought to love his wife. Ephesians chapter 5, and he's given us a picture of marriage and Christ's love for his church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives, own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular show love to his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, Jesus loves us with an immense love. He gives himself for us. And his love of giving, his, his giving is motivated by love. And that's the same traits that we should have as men towards our wives. Sex is not love. And that's a message that's communicated to this world. It's not. It can be an expression of love within the right boundaries, but it is not love. You know, and that is, you can, if that's the case, you can buy love. But that's not the truth because you can't buy love. If your view is sex is love, you can buy love. And you're going to find yourself in a very lonely place one day. When sex becomes an activity of getting rather than an expression of love, there are going to be issues. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you really think, church, men and women, listen to me. Do we really think God is okay? Do we really think the Holy Spirit is okay with dwelling in us and us viewing pornography, being involved in sexual immorality? Well, there's grace, pastor. There's grace. Then you better read up on sexual immorality because at the end it states very clearly that those who are committing sexual idolatry are outside heaven. Just read Revelation. It's there in the end. If you're engaged in any type of sexual immorality, you must flee from it and flee from it now. You are sinning against your body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not share that sacred space. You're sinning against God you're sinning against your spouse. You're sinning against your future spouse. You say, how am I sinning against my future spouse? Because you are setting a precedence. You are creating expectations in your desires that that woman or man can't fulfill. 
Listen, there are some things that happen in pornography that men will view and say, I just can't wait. And then when your wife can't perform that way because it doesn't feel good, but the actress in the video thought it felt good because she's an actress. You are creating a dangerous, dangerous perspective. Your wife will not be able to fulfill that. Your wife isn't a porn actress. She's not a prostitute. And you got to think of that in these terms as a young man. If she won't do the things you desire because they are outside the norm for her, because there's probably something right with her and there's something wrong with you because of what you fed your brain, she isn't the problem. I'm going to say that in this way. You get in the bedroom, your wife can't do the things you want her to do because you've trained your brain to believe that's the right thing to do. She's not wrong, you are. Your, your wife doesn't have to act like a prostitute to satisfy you. And if that's the case, there's something wrong with you. You need counseling. Sexual immorality will cause distance in your relationship with God just like that. There's no pause. It just creates a vacuum, a void. And what often happens is when we have that vacuum and void, we fill it with shame, we fill it with frustration and anger and a lot of different things. That void puts distance between you and God, and it creates distance between you and your spouse. You know, God will forgive us of our sins. He will show us grace, but we have to repent. That means we have to flee. That's why the Bible is very clear about sexual morality. Flee from it. But this is what we want. God, I want grace. I want forgiveness, but I, I know that I'm probably going to go back and I'm going to watch pornography. I know I'm going to go back and have this sexual activity. I know that I'm going to be involved with this girl, but I want, I want to be saved, and that doesn't work. That is a perverted view of Scripture where you have a license to sin. If you try to mix grace with sexual sin, all you're going to end up with is just religion. You're not going to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. There's going to be something missing. There's going to be, I just can't put my finger on it. What is it? It's called sexual morality, and there, it stands between you and God. Remember, you are supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you think God's going to dwell in that, live in that filth that you've created? Sexual morality, you may be religious, but you won't be close to God. If you've been exposed to pornography or you're actively watching pornography, the road to recovery is difficult to travel, but it's not impossible. If you haven't remained pure sexually, but you want your purity restored as a young man, as a young woman, it will take commitment towards that road. It is not impossible. It is difficult, but not impossible. If sexual sin has been committed in a marriage, a couple can work through it. I understand there is that exception where for marital unfaithfulness, and I would even go so far to say any type of physical abuse. But you know, I've ran into couples that have had uh, affairs and they decided to forgive, which is important because if they're gonna move forward, you have to. It's not justifying their sin, male or female, but you have to work forward. Doesn't mean you forget, it means you have to deal with these things and once they're dealt with, you need to leave them there. Because if you don't, there's no chance of that marriage ever surviving. Can a couple who has had adultery in their midst and can, can they move forward? Absolutely. If they're committed, it is difficult but not impossible. All sexual sin is difficult to overcome and to move forward, but not impossible. Romans chapter 8, any, any type of sexual immorality in your life, this is a very important scripture for you to really start from. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And if you feed the desires of your flesh, spiritually and morally, you will not succeed. And you must commit yourself to starving those desires of your flesh. And it's not easy. Remember, the desire you feed becomes the strongest. The one you starve lose strength. And with any sexual sins, there's a crossroads. There's always a crossroads that you come to. And what you do is you come to this crossroads and you have to decide, am I going to be honest or am I going to continue to go down the road of lies? That's the crossroads. That's the beginning. Are you going to be honest with yourself? Can you acknowledge your sin and say, I'm a sinner, that I'm committing sexual sin? There is no excuse. There is no reason. You know, I've heard people say this, well, because of trauma, different thing, and I've had these sexual problems. You lust. That's what you just need to say. I, I lust. I have desires, and I've fed those desires. And if you can't get past that, if you're going to legitimize or you're going to pass off those desires as problems for anyone else who's contributed to them, you're going to stay stuck at that crossroads. You're not going forward. You may feel like you're going the right direction, but it'll snap you right back. Because you have to be honest with yourself first and foremost. And then secondly, you have to be honest with God. If you're not going to be honest with God and you're not going to be honest with yourself, you're not going to move forward. You're going to stay stuck at the crossroads. And every time you get a little bit of freedom, you feel like it, it's going to snap you right back in that pit. Once you establish that honesty with yourself and with God, you've got to find someone. And this is the most difficult thing. And, I've, and I've, through the years, I've tried to, to help and try to, to find ways for men especially, because this is the hardest part for them, is to, are there ways around accountability? You have to have someone you're accountable to. That person of accountability may be your spouse. That might be and I, and I would venture to say there are some situations that another, the other spouse can't take it. It's too much for them to deal with. But oftentimes in sexual sin, your spouse is probably your best accountability partner because they're still sticking with you for a reason, because they love you. They are invested in you. But if you think, honestly, with sexual sin especially, and it goes into varying degrees, if you think you're going to go down that road by yourself, just you and God, you're going to make a lot of, lot of mistakes. And it's going to be a long, long journey when you can really save a lot of time by just being honest with someone. And you say, well, I, I don't know anyone that I could trust, to be honest with, to be transparent with. That is the deceptive, that is what the devil lies to you. He is a liar. And what all it does is a way for him to allow you to get that sexual desire to creep back in your mind, you pull you right back in. If you need someone to speak to, I'll listen all day long. I won't judge you. 25 years of ministry, full time. There's nothing I haven't heard. Nothing. There's nothing that surprises me. There's nothing that shocks me. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to, if I, I can't go on the details, but there, you'd be shocked. But it doesn't shock me anymore. Because, you know, I understand sin. I understand sin from a personal point of view, and I understand sin from a ministerial point of view. There are signs occurring all around us in this world. They remind us of this. We live in a sin-sick world. 
a disgusting world, a world that desperately needs Jesus. And living a pure life, living a holy life is difficult, but it's not impossible.